0: Good evening. Let's begin by reading together in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. During the ministry of John, there were a lot of people coming out to be baptized by him. And his teaching required repentance. And there were some who were coming just to make a show... An outward showing with no internal change. And he said to them in Luke chapter 3 and verse 8, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the foot or at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There were some who were coming to him who were not receiving his teaching. They were going through certain motions to make it appear as though they did. And John stopped them, commanding that they bear fruit in keeping with repentance. They relied on a genealogy. Perhaps the fact that they had the law of Moses, but John dismisses all of that, reminding them of the true power of God and the judgment that looms over those who choose to hide sin in their heart. God desires soft hearts. He desires a heart that is able to be pierced by His Word and people who repent from the heart. He desires those whose actions bear the fruit of God's Word correctly applied. To the wounds of sin. But even today. Rather than offering God. A a platter filled with the fruit of repentance. Some see fit to offer. Maybe a crumb. Or a potato skin. And we expect him to be satisfied. They offer him a cold and calculated ritual. Which appears penitent on the outside. But lacks heart. The Israelites in Hosea chapter 6 were doing that very thing. And if you turn over there, we'll be spending some time in Hosea chapter 6. The Israelites, upon hearing God's judgment on them, upon hearing Him tell them about what they'd been doing, they say the right things. And they understand a lot about who God is, but their hearts take His mercy and His forgiveness for granted. I want you to listen to Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. This is the words of the Israelites in response to God. They say, come, let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain, watering the earth. You know, that's the sort of message that God often gives to His people after they've displayed repentant hearts. Or when he knows that they will. He'll talk about himself and and promise that he will come back to them. And that, that they will receive his blessing again. But here it's coming from the people themselves. And these people have so often seen God turn away from his judgment. That they've begun taking his mercy for granted. And so they think that if they say the right things and perform the right sacrifices, that he will return and bless them as he did in the past. We need to understand some things about these Israelites and how much we really have in common with them. These are people who know a lot about God, they know a lot about God, they know a lot about his mercy. But their hearts have left loyalty to him behind. I want you to think about what is said in, the, in our day about the Old Testament. Remember, we've talked before, and you've heard it, the statement that the God of the Old Testament was judgmental and, and harsh and, and terrible and all of these awful things. I want you to recognize that we're reading in the Old Testament. And even in the day that some today would say well, he was harsh and difficult and, and judgmental and condemning, even in that time, these people who knew what they knew about God saw fit to take his mercy and his compassion for granted. And if they saw His mercy and compassion in the time that we called harsh and judgmental and condemnation and all those things, if they saw it then, how much more are we in danger of seeing it today and taking it completely for granted? Because it has been so much more clearly revealed to us through the sacrifice of Christ and the promise of eternal life and forgiveness for those who would come back to God. It's that... It's that much better for us, but it's that much more dangerous too. It's a double-edged sword there, having that information. And so we need to warn each other. Or at the very least, we need to think and consider this lesson. This example from the Old Testament of people who took the mercy and compassion of God for granted and what he responded to them, beginning with verse four God responds to them remember they've just said uh, he's, you know he's going to revive us he's going to raise us up uh, he's as constant uh, or as certain as the dawn and he's going to come to us like the spring rain watering the earth and he says, "What shall I do with you, O Ephraim, what shall I do with you, O Judah?" For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. You see he's taking their same examples that they use concerning him and he's turning it back on them to tell them what they're like. If God is constant and he's he, he, if God is like the dawn they're like the cloud in the morning that the dawn sort of burns off. You ever seen fog do that? It's the strangest thing. If you've been down into the uh, Visalia area where we live for a while there gets down there some fog that is super thick you can't see 10 feet but through the day it will burn off if you're lucky but that's the idea is that during the day as the day grows longer it doesn't stick around it burns off and the dew of course you can go out in the morning and the grass is wet but midday it's dry as a bone God says, Your loyalty is like that. If I'm like the spring rain that comes all the time, you're like the dew that goes away every day. So God continues. He says, Therefore, because their loyalty is this way, therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. I want you to listen to that. There are some things about light that we use even still today. We talk about something that's fast, as fast as the speed of light. Judgments that went out on them were swift. And light. You know, if you shine a flashlight even... If I shine it that way, it's not going to point over there. Unless there's a mirror. But the point is that light is direct and it's fast. And so would the judgments on them be. Like the light that goes forth. And God continues now in verse 6. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. And in the knowledge of God rather than in burnt offerings. But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of wrongdoers, tracked with bloody footprints. And as the raiders wait for a man, so a band of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they have committed crime. Now for those who are wondering what that's about, Shechem was one of the cities of refuge. It was one of the places that you were to flee and be safe there. And instead of allowing someone to flee and be safe there, the priests themselves would wait along the road for the one who was perhaps guilty or thought guilty, and they would kill them before they got to the city. And he says, surely they have committed crime. In the house of Israel, he says, I have seen a horrible thing Ephraim's harlotry is there. Israel has defiled itself. Also, O Judah, there is a harvest appointed for you when I restore the fortunes of my people. So Judah, it seems, would have a restoration, but it won't be now. It won't be when the people take God's mercy for granted and pray to Him expecting forgiveness to the extent that they fail to repent. And God says in verse 6, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. It amazes me how those words are spoken not just once in the Bible, but several times. There's at least four times that I know of. We're going to look at three tonight because two of them are very similar. But I want to look at that thought with you. God says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. He would rather a person maintain their righteous walk with Him then for them to do the wrong, then especially make a mock repentance and act as though they're coming back. He would rather they didn't need to come back at all. And so let's look back in the Old Testament and let's look at a time where this phrase came up or one very similar to it. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 22. And this, this account is rich. If you had been there, perhaps it wouldn't seem as rich. But when you have it all transcribed for you, and you can see on paper in black and white the exact statements that were made by everybody involved, and you can see like God can into their hearts and see what they were feeling and thinking it becomes very pointed. In verse 3 of this chapter, they were to go, and King Saul was to strike Amalek and utterly destroy basically everything. And so in verse 9, it says, Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs. You remember? And it says they were not willing to destroy them utterly. And God knew that He didn't carry out the Word in verse 10, in verse 11. But you come down to verse 22, and there is a discussion happening between Saul and Samuel. Samuel comes up, and hears the sheep, and he hears the the livestock. And Saul is acting as though everything's fine. As though he's done everything he was asked to do, and he should just be right with God all the way. In fact, in verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. I did. And I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And so he's, he's saying one thing, but then immediately after saying the very thing that God said not to do. He wasn't to spare anyone. He wasn't to bring anything back. It was to be complete destruction. And so verse 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And so Samuel says the very thing that we see God's saying through Hosea later in their history. And that is that obedience is better than sacrifice. Even back in this time, the first king they ever had was leading them down this path where God gave an express or explicit command that they were to carry out. And Saul says, Well, you know what? I know there's commands about sacrifices in the law, and perhaps if I just if I just do as I please and then make the appropriate sacrifice, and maybe even a few more certainly God will be pleased with that because I've made the right sacrifices. Not the point. He's missing the point. And even after Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice, verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. He immediately expects his sin to be forgiven. He expects everything to go back to the way it was. And for Samuel to just sort of walk with him as an outward showing that he's all right and he's in good standing with God and everything's fine. And Samuel says, not going to happen. I'm not going back with you. Verse 26, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king. So Saul tries to grab a hold of him and the Cloak tears off in his hand. And Samuel says, in effect, that's what God's done to your kingdom. It's taken away from you. Saul so, he had the mindset that is spoken against in Romans 6 1. Right? Those few verses there, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be never because that misunderstands the grace of God. It misunderstands the point of everything God is trying to get us to do and everything He's trying to do for us. The sacrifices made for sin in the Old Testament should have come first from the heart and then on the altar. But instead, they rejected the heart. They sacrificed that which meant nothing to them. And they misunderstood God and took His mercy for granted. The next account we'll look at is Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9. And starting at about verse 9. This is when Jesus calls Matthew. Remember, he's the tax collector. uh, And Jesus, it says in verse 9, went on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the, the Pharisees, they had some things wrong. They thought that they were supposed to pay attention only to the people who were already quote-unquote Righteous. To the people who were already living basically the way they ought to, that they should just sort of dismiss everybody who's not already in. And Jesus says, No, you've got it backwards. You need to be paying attention to the people who are out because they're the people who need your attention the most. That's compassion. They were more interested in the sacrifice side, in maintaining the rituals, maintaining the outward appearance of righteousness. God was never looking for people who would just learn to sacrifice the right animals at the right times for the sins they commit. He was looking for people who didn't want to sin. And He's still looking for that. He's looking for the people... Who don't want to sin. For people who want to serve Him from the heart. Rather than people who want the end end of righteousness. Just through the ritual alone. Christ calls on us. He calls on Christians to do some things. And He's looking for some things from us. And it's the very same things that he's been looking for in the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, and the same things he'll be looking for forever. He's not looking just for one day a week, he's looking for every day of the week. He's not looking just for loyalty in the pew, but loyalty at home and on vacation and at work. He hasn't called Christians just to listen to hard sermons, but he's called us to apply the message of his word. To us. You know, some would be very impressed to hear a bunch of amens during a sermon. God isn't so impressed with that as He is with the application of the teaching, with doing what needs to be done, changing what needs to be changed. He expects more from our singing than just without instruments. You know, we we sometimes harp on that. It's one of the first things noticed by other people. But it's not what makes our worship worship. Our worship is worship when it's offered from the heart in the way God desires. You can't leave the heart out. He expects more of our prayers than to end with, in Jesus' name, amen. He expects heartfelt prayers. Prayers that are sincere. He expects more than just strong teaching about divorce and remarriage. He expects men and women to be in marriages that are strong, ones that are striving to be godly, where each member of it is working working for the other to help them be better, to help them get to heaven. That way divorce doesn't even appear on the horizon. He expects more from our tongues than to refrain from lying and profanity. He expects the gospel to be spoken and for us to be blessing those who hear us rather than harming them. And He wants more than words. He wants a life. He wants each of our lives. He says, For I delight in loyalty Rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than in burnt offerings. They had the words of repentance down. They knew what it sounded like when someone repented from the heart. And what it sounded like when God accepted someone back. But the words of repentance mean nothing if they're not accompanied by the seeds of godly sorrow and the fruit of changed actions. And I think that's where we have to look at everything that we're doing. Because I don't think we can have cold worship, cold prayers, cold praises... And heartfelt repentance. You can't just flip that switch whenever you feel like it. It's got to be that we are inserting and applying our heart to everything we do already. And that way, when repentance is needed, the first thing that happens is our conscience is pricked, our heart is already involved. And we're ready to change. We're willing to take the time. To express our sorrow to God in prayer. We're willing to do whatever it takes. To move back into the light. Because our heart was already there. And you know there's there's a sad thing. And that is that sometimes a person comes and does truly repent. But then. What they receive in return is a shell of forgiveness. A forgiveness that is, you know, when you crack the shell sort of like an egg, what comes out is cold shoulders and sideways stares. He expects us to forgive as He forgives, and He expects us to love like He loves We have to put our heart into everything we're doing. Otherwise, we can't just put our heart into what we want to do, if that makes sense. You can't put it in when you feel like it ought to be there and when it will matter if it's there to you. It has to be there already or it just won't be there at all. God has always looked for true repentance and heartfelt obedience rather than a cold adherence to a ritual that is outside only. And I'm not saying, for those of you who may misunderstand this, I'm not saying that anything on the outside needs to change necessarily. That the things God commands and the things He finds pleasing from the outside are still the things that He commands and finds pleasing, but it takes more than the outside mechanics of a thing to make it pleasing to Him. Our heart must be involved. He seeks your heartfelt obedience to His Word, and He will faithfully forgive all your sins as you loyally walk with Him. But we need to be sure. We need to take some time and never take God for granted. We need to be sure that we never make a mockery of repentance or of any other part of Christian life. That was the problem that they ran into in the book of Hosea. They had begun to make a mockery of their worship, of their repentance. It was outside only as though God couldn't see any more than that. We need to be very careful. If through their knowledge and their understanding of God's mercy they were tempted to do that, certainly we will be too. That means we need to be all the more diligent to make sure our heart is in every part of our worship, in every part of our walk, every part of life, and that every part is dedicated to God. Make repentance true when it's needed. Gain sorrow. Produce the fruit of repentance by returning to His side once again. That's the message tonight. Is to make your worship, make your Christianity true. Make everything you do for God true and sincere and heartfelt. If you're a Christian tonight who needs to return to God and be loyal to Him again, if you need to be loyal to Him again, we will certainly receive you tonight. And God will look into your heart and He will listen to your words. And He will respond accordingly to what He has promised. If you're a lost soul tonight in need of the Gospel, we're here to give it. If you're ready to put on the Lord in baptism tonight, we're ready to help you. But we can't help if you don't tell us. And that may seem like a broken record every time that we come together, but it's the truth. You can be as sad and as sorry as you can be, but if you never do anything about it, it's never going to get any better. And so tonight is the time to do something. If your feeling in your heart says, I need to come back to God, I need to change, and I'm ready to, then do that. Make it known by coming forward tonight. And you have the opportunity to do that right now as we stand and sing together this song.